This is a Rooster Teeth production. For centuries, human skin has been used to graft oh so many grizzly trinkets. We are digging into some of the gruesome truths and stories behind human skin accessories. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we explore topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. And while we try to treat subject matter with the sensitivity it deserves, sometimes we just have a bag of laughs. (laughs) (laughs) Sure do. Yeah. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. May 11th, 1950 was a warm and bright day on 5th and Cedar Street in Rollins, Wyoming. Perfect conditions for the construction workers digging the foundation of the soon-to-be Rollins National Bank. Cedar Street was the epicenter of town. A stretch of two-story buildings housed doctors, lawyers, banks, and markets. The train ran along the backside of town, blowing warnings as it approached the Union Pacific Railroad Station, which was two blocks from the construction site. Well, that day the train's horn wasn't loud enough to drown out the shouts and kind of screams of the construction workers as they unearthed a barrel buried behind what was once the office of the late 19th century doctor, Thomas McGee. Inside the barrel, the workers discovered a pile of dusty bones, including the bottom half of a skull. And not just any ordinary skull. The half-skull of notorious train robber, Big Nose George Parrott. In 1878, George and his gang attempted a heist that went pretty wrong, resulting in the murder of two lawmen and his capture. In 1881, he was hanged for his crimes. During this hanging, a vigilante crowd of nearly 200 people gathered on Front Street, jeering as George stepped up onto a kerosene barrel. A rope was then thrown over the telephone pole, and George's hands were tied behind his back, the noose placed around his neck. The kerosene barrel was kicked out from under George, but George fell right to the ground. The rope had snapped. The executioners severely botched the first few hanging attempts, and I say first few, there were several. Finally, a new noose was fashioned and George ascended a 12-foot ladder. He eventually succumbed to gravity despite attempting to swing himself upwards and hold onto the pole for literal dear life. And if you heard our episode about hangings, you know that this is a pretty gruesome and inhumane hanging death uh, which George endured. The force of his fall was so great that the noose ripped both of his ears off. His body was left on the telephone pole for hours before the undertaker finally put it into the coffin. And legend has it that the lid of George's coffin would not close due to the size of his namesake nose. (laughs) I don't know this is real or not. I know. I was like, that is way too ridiculous and funny for that to be really a thing. What a goof on George. Two doctors were in the crowd during the time of the hanging, Union Pacific Railroad surgeon Thomas McGee and then Dr. John Eugene Osborne, the future governor of Wyoming. And when no one came to claim George's body, these two doctors said they wanted to take the remains for quote unquote medical study. They wanted to see if there was a connection between George's physiology and his gravitation to a life of crime. McGee popped George's skull open, popped (laughs) splitting it into two pieces. He used the top half for God knows what, and it's what was found in that barrel a half century later. Probably just full of Skittles (laughs) or something. (laughs) Uh, Maybe not too far from the truth. 
because he gave the bottom half to Dr. Lillian Heath, who was 15 when she was McGee's medical assistant. At the time uh, that this barrel was discovered, she was now in her 80s. And Heath recalled that Dr. McGee had given her this half skull and told her to use it as an ashtray, which is kind of a weird end of your bonus. <laughs> yeah. Know? And also yeah. it's it's telling of the time that he gave a 15 year old a half skull and said, use this for your smokes. Yeah, you that know? that is that is literally so incredibly morbid, so perfect mm-hmm. to say that is labeled a morbid thing. Yep. George's body was preserved in a whiskey barrel filled with a salt solution until the doctors no longer had a use for him. So when those construction workers found Big Nose George's remains buried in that barrel behind McGee's former office in 1950, more than just the top of his skull was missing. During the post-mortem experiments, John Eugene Osborne had the corpse partially skinned and sent to, uh, to a tannery in Denver, Colorado. And he had one specific request Take a guess on uh, what that could be, Elise. <laughs> uh, a second bowl for Starburst. Close, close. Uh, make a pair of shoes with this human skin. <sighs> yeah, skin shoes. Man, I feel bad just buying real leather as an animal right? lover. Yes, yes. These shoes were manufactured with the skin of Big Nose George. And also his skin was reportedly made into a medical bag, a wallet, and some other little trinkets. Too. On January 2nd, 1893, Osborne waltzed into his gubernational victory ball, he's the governor now, wearing mm. his two-toned human skin shoes made from George. Yeah, you can still see Big Nose George in shoe form uh, on display at the Carbon County Museum in Rollins together with the bottom half of his skull and his earless death mask, if you are curious. <laughs> mm-hmm. And one of uh, the writers on our show gave a call to the Carbon County Museum in Rollins to see about getting some clarification on these legendary shoes. And yep, they are definitely on display in the main gallery of the museum and roughly 3,000 people a year pass by the aging skin of Big Nose George. So again, curious, go go see it. <laughs> also confirmed, there's no documented evidence of Dr. Osborne wearing these shoes to his inauguration, that kind of you know far-fetched, wild, sensationalized story of him tap dancing and wearing his fancy George <laughs> shoes. Jeez. Um, but the doctor was known to be proud of the dress shoes, showing them as an example of how he was tough on crime. The medical bag and coin wallet seem to be lost to history, so you may want to be careful if you ever stumble upon any unusually soft or perhaps leathery antiques, you know? Yeah, I, I read this other story online, and I don't know if it's true, but that the governor, he had this vendetta, personal vendetta against Big Nose George because George had orchestrated this train heist that made the governor late for a party he was going to. Wow. That might All because be, he was late? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that might just be some like sensationalized story. That doesn't need to go to some anger management or something. Damn. Yeah. And, and also the attendants at the museum couldn't say if there were other accounts of human skin being used by local doctors in Wyoming. George was the only known criminal to have been crafted into everyday objects in yeah. Carbon County. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though no other convicted criminals were skinned in Wyoming that we know of, many other executed prisoners were fated to rest in pieces. Literally. And this is one grisly story of many, some might say too many, in human history where people got a little too crafty with human skin. Like <laughs> I, a little too crafty. To me, kind of, you know, we have so many things to choose from to craft with. <laughs> 
Sure. So many. And we are, we're definitely going to get into them as, yeah, as we approach today's episode questioning why anybody would want to make objects, clothing, art, trinkets, whatever out of a human skin. And while we don't understand them, apparently there are lots of reasons that sickos have. Nonetheless, we are doing a regrettably (laughs) deep dive into this fleshy underground trade, starting with one of the earliest recorded instances. During the 9th century BCE, the Scythians left a trail of violence across what is now modern-day Russia, Ukraine, Siberia, and parts of China. The Scythians specialized in tattooing and war and were also skilled butchers who prized human skin. Scythian soldiers would scalp their foes, hanging their skins from anywhere they could, the wash and drying line, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) troubling some trees, including their own belts and garments. And to show off their victories, Scythians would make bibs out of the fleshy skull top or wrap celebratory bone goblets in fine human leathers. (laughs) Some would sew the skin of the scalps together to make cloaks. Oh. (laughs) Oh. I just can't even imagine, like, somebody asks you where you got your cloak from and you're like, Todd. (laughs) You know, I just can't even. Remember Todd? (laughs) Yeah. And maybe I'm just jealous because I don't feel like I have nice enough skin. Oh my God. Are you, is that what you're thinking about? Are you thinking about like in the end, would you like, would anybody make something cool out of my skin? Yes. Would you wear (laughs) me? Be honest. Be honest. No, probably not. Not because of your dishwater skin, but because (laughs) just, (laughs) you heard me say that. (laughs) That wasn't all good. No worries. Call back. Let's blend. Uh, Anyway. Um, no, just because that's weird to me, you know, it's weird. Okay. If you didn't think it was weird, (laughs) maybe a per, maybe a purse. Okay. Yes, a purse. Okay. Maybe. All right. I don't know if that, I guess you're, you're not spill, happy with you're, that. You're going to spill stuff all over it. I know that, but all right. <laughs> probably, probably. Well, anyway, back to the Scythians. Okay, fine, we'll a get, bib. We'll get it's down to a bib. <laughs> I want people to see you on Zoom in meetings, and then there's like a bib around your neck that's got one eye. <laughs> no. Oh, that's making me, that's making my skin crawl a bit. Ooh, that's the point of this podcast, I guess. That is the point. That is the point. Back to the Scythians, though, they would skin their enemies whole, flaying their skin and mounting it high onto something maybe resembling a sail or like, you know, <laughs> people put up those in their college dorms. They have those flags. Jesus. <laughs> Probably yes. like that. Uh, yes. all, can I just say, if someone's making a skin sail, that is a literal and figurative red flag. Absolutely. Because okay? <laughs> <laughs> of the blood. But literally what you just said about, because yes, the college dorm rooms with the flag, a yeah. skin flag, Jesus. The, the, like pen, pennant flag or pennant flag, yes. whatever those are called. Oh, jeez. God. Yeah, Scythian soldiers were not alone in their penchant for skin cloaks. Uh, in 2019, an ancient temple was discovered in Mexico, estimated to have been built between 1000 and 1260 BC in honor of the Mesoamerican fertility god Shepe Totec. Shipe Totec means our Lord, the flayed one, little on the nose there. In the native language of Nahuatia, they held gladiator style battles that resulted in the dead having their skin flayed and made cloaks. Researchers have found whole intact human torsos wearing flayed skin cloaks. Oh my gosh. I know. It's just like recycle, reduce, reuse, right? Right. Anyway. (laughs) Statues and stone masks show Shepetotec wearing freshly flayed ribbons of human skin to symbolize the new skin that covered the earth in the regeneration of spring. When I hear new skin, I just think of that band, that liquid Band-Aid you can put on. Liquid Band-Aid? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, it almost looks like clear nail polish, but it's a liquid Band-Aid that you could put over a cut. That's oh, called, I see. It's called new skin. 
Okay, so yeah, it's kind of like a film. Like yeah. a, yes, yes. Yeah, but oh, they had weird. a whole other meaning for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, they sure did. They sure did. Yeah, the Aztecs adopt, uh, the Aztecs adopted the cult of Shepe Totec between 1469 and 1481. The second ritual month of the Aztec calendar is called, I'm going to oh butcher my God. this. Stay with <laughs> me. Here we go. The Aztec calendar is called Tlac Ashri Pe Waltz Etzili, or let's just say the flaying of men. That word existed in multiple time zones. It sure Jeez. did. <laughs> you know, well done, Jess. Aztec priests killed human victims by removing their hearts and flaying the bodies. The human skins would be crafted and dyed yellow to resemble gold. Adorning human skin as a spiritual ritual was also practiced in Iceland. The Museum of Icelandic Sorcery and Witchcraft in Holmvik, Iceland, is home to the only surviving pair of necropants. Yes, necro. Pants. Necro pants. In the early 17th century, Icelandic sorcerers commonly struck a gruesome deal amongst friends, which was, when you die, I will wear your legs as pants. And honestly, Jess, I'm kind of into that. Okay, so then I changed my mind. It's no more purse, no more bib. I'll we, I will wear your legs as pants. They're going to be stretched out a little bit because I'm a little taller than you. <laughs> but I don't know. Have you have you seen the picture? Have you? Yes. Have you, and I will say these are like more than a pant because there's Oh, they're more than a pant. <laughs> there's feet in there. There's, and there's hair. And there's like a penis sheath. There's a yes. They the best way to describe it, and again, we can we need to be better. I'm gonna post this photo when this when this You're uh, gonna get our Instagram account flagged. Maybe we don't. Maybe we <laughs> don't that. post it. But the best way to describe it is, and I know this is like <laughs> far fetching for a lot of people, but Kim Kardashian wore this one latex skin colored outfit out. And about. I, Have you seen it? I know exactly what you're okay, talking yes, about. Okay, yes, that's what I'm trying to like find the, the best, yeah. you know, thing anybody can think of right now. But it's like that. Think of what she wore. Just look so up Kim are Kardashian you latex. She was wearing necro pants. She could have been, but she shaved the hair off because this photo shows hair, shows the, the, the follicles, the pores, Ugh. you know, all the all the fun stuff. Which honestly, um, the hair is grosser to me than the skin. Yeah. No, <laughs> what does yeah. that say so, about me? So just look it up, guys. Just look up the real photo. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's a there's a art to making these pants, right? Yes. In order to make a pair of nabro or necro pants or skin pants, friends would make a pact giving the other permission to wear their legs after they died. The surviving member of the pact had to dig up their dead friend's body, then peel off the skin of the corpse from the waist down. You had to do this all without tearing any holes or causing any damage to the skin or the pact would be broken. According to legend, a coin had to be then stolen from a widow and a magical sign called the Nabro Karstifer would be drawn on a piece of paper. Like Prince, just a symbol. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and then once these now magically imbued items, because you did this little ritual with them, were sewn into the scrotum of the necropant. Oh, so the scrotum, I thought the scrotum was just for show, just aesthetic, but I guess it serves a purpose. It serves a purpose. Who knew? Uh, so then the spell was complete. The surviving friend would then step into the magical pair of leg pants, the sisterhood of the traveling necropants, <laughs> and the dead legs would allegedly fuse to the living legs. It's kind of sweet. And I think... I hope you feel that way when you wear my legs someday. Um, I might, I might not though. And that's okay if I don't. Oh, um, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't agree with that. 
<laughs> the way you said that, just so like, I'm sorry, I just don't agree with that. No, Jesus. we're not going to. No. <laughs> um, according to folklore, the coin would aid in gathering wealth. And as long as the coin was not removed from the skin scrotum, they would continue to have good fortune for uh, generations. So. Hmm. But like if you lose the coin, can you or what if currency just changes over time? Like, can I pop a Canadian toonie in there? Yeah, I think I think if currency changed, I think it would still you'd still get some good fortune. I would hope so, because it's like, come on now. Yeah, come on. Uh, If the wearer of the pants did not pass them down to their own friends, legend has that the body of the wearer would be infected with lice immediately upon death. With the passage of time, the material use of human skin continued to get stranger and uh, more elaborate. To this day, folks are still running into everyday objects that they later learn are actual epidermis. And this is the stuff (laughs) that's like super morbid where people in the 20th century now, you hear these gruesome stories Mm -hmm. of a serial killer or somebody making items out of human skin. And we are going to talk more about this when we return from a word from our sponsors. Morbid Minutes is sponsored by BetterHelp. We're all out here trying to get to know ourselves. It's truly a lifelong process because we're constantly changing and growing. Yeah, like last week I got a diffuser and now I'm a curly hair person. And your hair looks amazing. Thank you. <laughs> so to put it out there. It just like that it does. <laughs> um, so hair is one way. There are more profound ways too, like going to therapy and getting to know your inner self. Yes, right. That therapy is super helpful because it's all about learning greater self-awareness and understanding why you do some of the things that you do. Like why you never wore your hair curly, even though it looks amazing. I know. I'm learning (laughs) to love it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes we don't know what we want until we talk through things with an impartial party. Yes. To absolutely get some perspective. And if you're thinking of giving therapy a shot, BetterHelp is a great option. They will connect you with a licensed therapist who can help get to know your inner self and also maybe discover if you're a curly haired person. I think I know what they'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) BetterHelp is entirely online and designed to be convenient. Yes. Like you can text with your BetterHelp therapist. I love that. Anytime you're just kind of going through a moment, you can just kind of send a quick test. Hey, give you that kind of breathing moment. Someone can give you some awesome advice, which is also great because sometimes, you know, it takes the weight off maybe your immediate friends that you normally would kind of talk to about this stuff. It teaches you to ask your friends, hey, do you have the emotional bandwidth right now for me to talk to you about this? Yes. Like it's one of those things. And I know you and I have both like done therapy and seen the benefits of it, right, Jess? Oh, absolutely. It has helped me tremendously. And even though I am taking a break from therapy, I went to therapy for three years and it's still all the tools, like the tool chests that I have uh, created over those past three years, they are still in my brain and I use them literally every single day. So discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash 30MM today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 30MM. I am so particular about what kind of socks I wear. And that is why I love Bombas, especially if I'm working out or doing something active. Bombas makes performance socks that are made with technically advanced features They're great. We're talking proprietary hex tech that has sweat wicking yarn, supportive cushioning, and built-in ventilation to increase airflow. Bombas is the gym bag staple that's built to last. I wear them when I run, I wear them when I hike. Their performance socks are so colorful and comfortable, you want to wear them even when you're not working out, which I do 
every single day. Uh, they've also got lightweight t-shirts designed to feel cool against your skin, underwear so airy and breathable you'll forget you're wearing any, and socks designed to make every workout more comfortable, no matter how you like to get active. Like I just said, I wear them for everything, rollerblading, biking. I use Bombas for them all. I even have pairs that have a little R on my right foot sock and L on my left foot socks. So I don't get them mixed up. I love it. They even have gripper socks that you can wear if you're doing like matte Pilates or bar. It's great. I can't sing the praises of Bombas enough. Merino wool golf socks to help you stay comfy and supported all day long. Love them. And the Bombas 100% happiness guarantee means you are covered for life. Just reach out anytime to their happiness team for easy returns, exchanges, or replacements. So go to bombas.com slash 30mm and use code 30mm for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash 30mm and use code 30mm at checkout. Thank you, Bombas. Now back to the show. So we covered some of the classical and ancient instances where people were making objects or clothes from human skin. And now we're getting into the contemporary, which this is in our purview, right? It makes it all Mm -hmm. the more morbid and creepy. Mm -hmm. Six months after Hurricane Katrina in 2005, a man named Raymond Skip Henderson was sifting through a rummage sale in his New Orleans neighborhood. Skip told NPR that he was actually interested in a drum set, but the seller pointed him to a lamp and specifically pointed out the lamp's shade. Skip told NPR, he said, you know, this is the skin of Jewish people. He said, that's Jewish people's flesh. Skip went on to say, you know, once you live in New Orleans, you just get prepared for anything. For whatever reason, Skip bought the lamp. It was $35. When he got home, he started to examine the lamp more closely. He said in an interview, quote, now you start looking. You're noticing wrinkles and pores, and it's very translucent. It looks dusty or greasy, and it has a very silky feel to it. He went on to say, that thing will clear out a room. Horrific. As, uh, as stories of Nazi atrocities began emerging immediately after World War II, Albert Rosing was working for the U.S. Army's Psychological Warfare Division and interviewed more than 600 prisoners who had been liberated from Buchenwald. While interrogating a liberated French prisoner named Stefan Essel, when Essel asked Rosing, how can you, an American officer, sit at this desk with this lamp? To which Rosing replied, what the hell is wrong with this lamp? Essel informed him, don't you know? That lampshade is human skin. I just got like goosebumps. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just the idea of it's it's ubiquitous enough that you don't even know that the atrocities that happened are existing and living around you. Mm-hmm. Like it's awful. Woody Guthrie wrote a song about the human skin lampshades at Buchenwald called Isla Coke. Isla Coke, known as the bitch of Buchenwald, was the wife of the commandant Carl Otto Koch. Isla Koch was infamous for her sadistic treatment of prisoners and was one of the first prominent Nazis tried by the U.S. military. You like hear stories of these sick people, especially people in power, who sure. do these kind of twisted things. And you, it sounds like something from a movie, but no, it this was real, real horrific things done to real human beings. Yeah, um, she allegedly constructed multiple human skin lampshades and purses from the skin of prisoners at the concentration camp. And like the Nazis, you know, were known for doing tons of experiments all the time. All oh, different yeah. kinds of experiments. Anything yeah. that they could think of, do, they were doing weird stuff. The, and and like not experiments for the positive. It was like, let's no. test how we can break a person or the lengths mm-hmm. of human pain or, you mm-hmm. know. 
Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, yep. let's let's test to figure out how to cure this disease. No. Yes. Yes. Of all the items made of human skin, lampshades seem to come up quite a bit. Why is that? Maybe it's like a good thing that we don't know why. I, if I had to guess, I would think like the translucency of skin is good for filtering light. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But I've. I mean, I don't know. Probably don't, the don't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is yeah. a good thing. Um, probably the most infamous lampshade guy was serial killer Ed Gein, who committed many atrocities between 1947 to 57 in Plainfield, Wisconsin. He went from exhuming dead corpses to eventually targeting fresher living victims for their skin. Yeah, at Gein's home, police officers found numerous disturbing creations, including a human skin apron and a skin belt made of nipples. He also confessed to having made a suit out of all female skin so he could become his mother. Psycho. Yep. Straight from a horror movie. And then he like he made like a wastebasket. Like he was like, well, we got to yep. <laughs> we need to stay tidy. <laughs> It's like I'm making yes. humans. Oh, there's just like there's scraps of skin everywhere. I need something to th- throw it all in. Make the waste yeah. basket. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. something something about him making such like mundane and everyday objects out of human skin that raises the disturbing factor to like a hundred. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, there's a wealth of psychoanalysis on gain and what drove him to his depraved behavior. Could have just been a general perversion or he used it as a method of control, a Mm -hmm. trauma response, a maladaptive coping mechanism, schizophrenia, or maybe it was just pure evil, you know? Not exactly. In the 1800s, it was quite common for doctors and everyday citizens to pull, pry, and shape the skin of the dead for art, souvenirs, or medical reasons. Folks justified this uh, by using the skin of executed criminals. So it's like, oh, it's okay. They're executed criminals. Yep, like the situation with Big Nose George, like doctors would claim the skin of the dead and then say it was for medical purposes. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of that time, like with George, that skin was sculpted and molded into everyday souvenirs like wallets and books. William Burke was one of uh, an infamous pair of Scottish serial killers known as Burke and Hare. Burke and Hare were responsible for the serial slayings of 16 people whose murdered bodies they sold to a local medical professor for 10 shillings apiece. Burke was convicted uh, of the two of them. And on the morning of January 28th, 1829, he was hanged in front of 25,000 people. With a morbid twist of irony, Burke's corpse was publicly dissected by a medical professor in Edinburgh's old college. What karma. What karma. (laughs) It's like karma in action. Uh, During the procedure, which lasted two hours, the professor dipped his quill pen into Burke's blood and wrote, this is written with the blood of William Burke, who was hanged at Edinburgh. This blood was taken from his head. That's so metal. I did. I, I love that you say, "Damn, that's so metal." Well, it, just, it is it's like that. Like he, this, prof, this professor was just off the chain. Like, yeah, oh, this guy yeah. was skinning people. I'm gonna write yeah. uh, his obituary in his own. Yeah, blood. Burke's skin was then carefully stripped from his corpse. A wallet was crafted, and a book was bound with his tanned skin, and then stamped with a gold leaf. Oh, beautiful. I know. Speaking of human skin bound books, uh, the movie Evil Dead, the original is great. The 2013 remake. Awesome. There's a new Mm -hmm. one. Uh, Remember that weird looking book, the Necronomicon Ex Mortis, a book bound in human skin. Not real, but in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In other words, anthropodermic bibliopegy, which is the practice of binding books in human skin. 
Yes, thankfully there aren't too many of these books lying around. In the 50 rumored human skin books that the Anthropodermic Book Project have examined, only 18 as of April 2022 are actually bound in human skin. And let's hope that's it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This practice sort of peaked in the 17th and 19th century, and we can ask ourselves why. Like, what was the point? Yeah, binding. Why did you want to bind books with skin? I, For one, punishment. Many, like we were talking about, many skin-bound books had the skin of uh, executed criminals, and sometimes even their confessions would be bound with their skin. Medical books were sometimes bound in cadaver skin as a way of saying thank you from the doctors to their patients for helping learn from them. Oh, which is wild. I know, I know. Yeah, imagine getting that as a thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another reason was to, and this one I, I kind of understand, it's a morbid way, but um, to memorialize the dead with some people giving consent to having their skin used for this very purpose. Mm-hmm. Morbid, but... I guess I understand it. <laughs> well, when you get the book for me, it'll be, I'll be like, oh, finally, a way to get her to open a book. <laughs> yeah, she only needs a damn Kindle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rounding out the macabre reasons, collectors wanted something unusual to impress their creepy friends with. <laughs> um, I personally would not be impressed by such things, but to each their own. These collectors especially liked books bound in tattooed skin. Yeah, a doctor from this time, Dr. Ludovic Buland, as a medical student, decided to bind a book using the skin of a female patient whose body went unclaimed. It had a gilt-paneled spine, gilt borders, cover ornamentation, and fillets. Fun. Uh, um, but anyway, back to William Burke. Burke's book still resides behind a glass case at Surgeon's Hall Museum in Scotland. Close by is his death mask, a sculpted plaster visage that shows off his criminal features. Remember Big George from the beginning? I remember or- him. Yeah, the coffin wouldn't close. <laughs> yes, because of his... Yes, got it. <laughs> uh, he also had a death mask made, which was, I guess, kind of the thing to do with criminals at the time to try and understand what forces, if any, shape the criminal mind. Cesar Lombroso, the father of criminology, wrote in his 1876 book Criminal Man, quote, in general, thieves are notable for their expressive faces and manual dexterity, small wandering eyes that are often oblique in form, thick and close eyebrows, distorted or squashed noses, thin beards, and hair and slopping foreheads. Interesting. He to, yeah. Uh, he went on to write, like rapists, they often have jug ears. Rapists, however, nearly always have sparkling eyes, delicate features, and swollen lips and eyelids. Most of them are frail and some are hunchback. This is all, I mean, malarkey, mm-hmm. of course, as we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Though there is absolutely no data to support the wrong and overly racist idea that facial features contribute to a person's criminality, Lombroso's hypothesis creepily described Big Nose George's face to a T. Yeah, I mean, the guy had a big nose. We get okay. it. We got it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we, it is drilled into my brain. Yeah, yeah. And, and like the you know description, he had this nose that sloped from the center bridge and he had droopy eyelids. Mm-hmm. His beady dark eyes were small under a pair of black eyebrows and bushy mustache covered the entirety of his mouth. He had thick black hair that pushed from the back of his forehead and tucked behind his ears. Again, this is more creepy coincidence than any actual scientific fact. In 1833, a Frenchman named Antoine LeBlanc arrived in Morristown, New Jersey, where he was offered lodging in Judge Samuel Sayers' small, dank basement in exchange for unpaid work. 
After a few weeks of hard labor, LeBlanc showed his true nature. He murdered Judge Sayer in cold blood by striking him in the back with an axe. The judge's wife, Sarah Sayer, and their servant, Phoebe, possibly a slave, uh, he killed with a club. LeBlanc then ransacked the house for money and valuables. He hid out, but eventually the murders came to light and the town hunted him down. A local judge ordered him to be hanged and dissected. On September 6, 1833, LeBlanc was hanged in front of over 10,000 witnesses. He was cut down and rushed across the street to local Dr. Isaac Canfield's office. Dr. Canfield removed LeBlanc's skin and brought it to Atno Tannery in Washington Street to be fashioned into lampshades, books, purses, and wallets. Just a plethora of things. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, bored locals who were fascinated by the case were able to purchase tiny strips of dried skin signed by the arresting sheriff. God. Cool. That tannery made so many items out of this <laughs> one dude that Morristown locals were still finding the heirlooms of his epidermis well into the late 20th century. On Halloween night in 1995, while liquidating the estate of the late Carl Scherzer, the unofficial town historian, as he was, auctioneers found a shriveled coin purse made from human skin. Can I just, just feel like it's always the same stuff. It's like a purse. It's a book. It's like it's like where's like the pop cap? Or, yeah, you know, yeah. Like the pops, the pop socket, or the. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, when you know, when we're talking about the skin and everything, it can be, it can be pulled and stretched and like bound on. Like maybe it's just because they need those things, like purses, books, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just where's the beanie baby? See, that might be harder to because it needs to be. I think on like something hard, something you can stretch and bind. You know what I mean? I'm gonna go off record on the record here. You guys gotta switch up your game here. I'm tired of the wallets. I'm tired of the, you know, like to make something interesting. What do you want? Cro Made a crossbody bag. Well, that's still a purse, kind of. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But then, yeah, slap like a logo on it. There you go. There you go. Love it. Okay. Love it. Um, but yes, that, but yeah. uh, that old coin purse made from human All skin. From, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was made from a LeBlanc. This mm -hmm. human skin wallet was found tucked away in an upstairs library and is currently in the hands of Scherzer's son, Douglas. Douglas keeps that small rectangular human skin wallet in a picture frame. Uh, that wallet is about four and a half inches long and it's kind of this like sickly greenish brown color. Yeah. Now. Fo folded over a tongue flap fits neatly into a slot on the front in order to close the wallet. Ugh. Is it like a tongue flap, like a tongue flap? Or uh, <laughs> you know, know, I have not looked this one up. This is uh, not looked that one up. <laughs> and, and there's a story about this in Weird New Jersey magazine, which I don't know if you've ever heard of Weird New Jersey, Jess. I love it. I have some friends from, from New Jersey that introduced me to it and like gave me a bunch of physical copies of this magazine. Nice. It's it's just this monthly magazine that comes out in New Jersey that talks about like New Jersey creepy folklore and stories and morbid stuff. It's it's awesome. That's incredible. Um, but yeah, Weird New Jersey covered this and they uh, they described aged human skin. This was not the tough yet supple hide of a cow or pig, which we are all familiar with, nor was it the shiny, rough, and scaly skin of a reptile. This was a thin and frail skin that should have never been tooled in such a manner. Oh, see that? Yeah, that really gave me chills because... Uh, because it's like, it's the, it's already unnatural. Yeah. But the fact that it's like human skin doesn't have like even this dexterity that people should be making it into stuff. They have, they have to specifically 
work against its natural properties to make it and stuff. Exactly. So it's just, you know. Huh. Yeah. Because we've been using, you know, skin and hide to keep back in the days, old days to keep us warm and stuff like Tougher, that. Tougher, Tough. hides. Yeah. But like human skin, it's just like, it's, it's so unnatural to us as humans because we are humans and we're not supposed to be we're the, uh, you know, the top of the food chain right now doing, doing this to ourselves. <laughs> Don't be skinning each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, from, from human cloaks to wallets, to lampshades, uh, to shoes, it's, it's creepy for sure. And it definitely, definitely passes our morbid test. This is definitely your typical, um, morbid type of episode. <laughs> Everything we talk about is morbid, but this one is intense. Yeah. And yeah, and especially like if you're an animal lover or a vegan, obviously the idea of making leather objects from animal hides and skins is pro- probably you elicits the same reaction as this. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's unnatural, it's morbid. But like I do think that there's something about making objects, clothing, etc., from human skin that is just a whole. It's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, thing. it is. I mean, it mean uh. it means something different to possess and mutilate somebody's skin. Yep. And uh, it's it's this departure from like a human to human relationship. You're turning someone into an object. You're you're literally objectifying someone, making them an item. Mm-hmm. They're no longer obligated to like this emotional connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just ugh, there's a whole like psychological level to it. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's a deep, deep and sickening level of dehumanization at play. And I think we can all agree, however you read into it, it's all really fucking uh, ugh, icky. <laughs> it's, it's really gross. Oh, we, we should stop talking about <laughs> this. It's grossing me out. Uh, we should talk about how fun it is that we're back with a new I know. Season. Yeah. We're back with another season. Season five, right? Season right? five. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Take a little break between seasons to get ready for the next one. Yeah. And oh, my God. Are. Yeah. What are we talking about this season? I forgot. Uh, we, I think we're covering like, uh, I mean, I think we're going to talk about like Egypt finally properly. Absolutely. Absolutely. God. It's one of the, I can't tell you how topics. many times there's like Devin, my partner is obsessed with ancient Egypt. How many times I've walked out into the living room and there's just a documentary about ancient. And I sit there and watch it, too, because it's fascinating. But yes, Egypt is going to be great. It is. And uh, there's also we're talking about could a zombie apocalypse actually happen? Yes. In real life. Yes. And this was I mean, I know the never mind. I don't want to bring up The Last of Us because it's not about zombies and they're very clear not talking about zombies. But I know we had talked about this even before the show. But it's kind of like what zombies in what sense? And that's what exactly. we talk, we'll talk about in the episode, right? Is yeah. like the idea of uh, a dead person rising from their grave. That's more like the sensationalized movie zombie. But like the zombification of an organism that's possessed by another organism could that really happen? Exactly. Either way, they were dead and then now they are back and they want to kill me. <laughs> so either way, yeah. whatever you want to call it, um, what the fuck? How is that? Can it happen? Let's let's get into it. So, yeah, we got a lot of yeah. fun stuff this season coming up. Yeah. And more beyond that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just quick question for you, Jess. Mm-hmm. Um, your opinion on, you know, say you're getting married and you need flowers for the wedding. Ooh, I can buy these funeral flowers at a discount uh, after they've been used at the funeral. <laughs> is that a yes? Is that a no? Wow. Um, whose funeral specifically? Just anyone's? It really depends on if who's, they smell who's bad. Wedding? Well, who's I was wedding thinking should be the question you're asking. I thought it was mine. Are you talking about you mine? You want me to help you? You you want me to help you plan your upcoming wedding right i absolutely i haven't asked you yet but yes do it do it all for me Why? i don't have to disclose all my methods to you do i 
you just write the check. No, I, but where but I, where you've I already given too much. Matter. You, you've already given so much away, and I think my only qualm is just make sure they don't smell like the dead body. So if they don't smell, sure, by all means, throw some old funeral flowers at the wedding, Elise. I well, I need to rethink some things and make some calls. I gotta go. Okay, <laughs> okay. bad bye, Elise. <laughs> bad bye, Jess. <laughs>